Welcome to The Lemonade Principle, a podcast for students and anyone interested in hearing conversations with inspirational business people around the world. I'm Chris Roberts, and this week I catch up with Anna Champion from Durham University's Class of 2000 from her base in Vietnam. Anna is now Head of Early Careers Learning at Jardine Matheson, a huge family-owned conglomerate who she describes as the best unknown company in the world, with around 450,000 employees worldwide, mostly in Asia. We get a really interesting insight from Anna about her early struggles with finding a graduate role, and the irony isn't lost on her that she went on to have a successful career recruiting graduates herself. We also get some great advice for anyone thinking about interviews in the future, including the value of mistakes and focusing less on the competition and more on yourself, as well as a bit of a sneak peek at the Jardine's recruitment process for next year. I really enjoyed my chat with Anna, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really pleased this week to be joined by Anna Chamian, who's based out in Vietnam. Hi Anna. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, all good. Good, good, good. Uh, so why don't we start um, by maybe introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you? Sure. So um, I am a Durham graduate. Um, I was in Collingwood College um, and I studied combined social sciences. I'm actually the class of 2000, which at the time I think was pretty cool being <laughs> the graduating class of a year oh, okay. of, 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 a, of, of, of that sort of century um, turnover. Um, and I am now out in Asia um, I've been um, my current role is the head of early careers learning for Jardine Matheson which is a big conglomerate um, and I'm based out in Ho Chi Minh City. Good stuff uh, so let's go right back um, to the start there um, you said that you were the class of 2000 which is really cool to know um, why did you choose Durham initially? Uh, so my, my the reason I picked different universities um, and in particular Durham um, was based around actually one thing was sport. Um, I played lacrosse and I wanted to continue to play lacrosse, and so Durham was one of my my top well, in fact, my top choice around where to go. Um, I also wanted to do um I, I'm not someone that ever can be pinned down to one thing so the combined social sciences um worked really well for me so that I could pick my own degree um so I studied um at the business school I did management psychology and sociology um and I I've just decided that uh, Durham and Collingwood were the place that I wanted to be. I wanted to be in a college that was ugly. Um, that was one of my main reasons for picking Collingwood um, because uh, I'd been to a very traditional school. So I think I wanted, I was rebelling against that. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's why I ended up at, at, at Collingwood. Okay, so how did you find it at the time? And did you enjoy your time at Durham? It's- yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe not as much as my husband's also a Durham graduate and he he really, really enjoyed his time there and would go back there like a shot. I had a great time. Um, I, it was a, definitely a good decision for me to go to Durham um, and I still keep in touch with many friends from Durham. Um, but um, I probably wouldn't rush back to university. <laughs> I'm quite happy to have moved on. That's fair enough. Um, okay, then. so uh, this is something I'm really interested in. And I think it's really useful to students. I know you said that once you finished your degree that you actually struggled to get into a graduate program. Yes. Yeah. So so I, I thought I had it all. I actually left when I left Durham, I hadn't got a job. I decided that I wanted to do some backpacking. Mm-hmm. So I um, I basically spent um, the next six months um, working in a number of different 
sort of uh, jobs to raise enough money to go backpacking. So I did um, all sorts of things from working in a sunflower field, selling pick your own sunflowers, uh, to working in a kitchen, to doing um, office work, temporary work. Um, and sort of, I think at one point I had about four jobs going so that I could save enough money to go backpacking. And then I went backpacking and then um, I came back from backpacking thinking, um, that I would be able to get a job relatively easily. I'd already got my degree. I'd been involved in numerous things on campus, um, in t including, you know, sports and positions of responsibility um, and had been backpacking, had got a bit of work experience and then went into the workplace thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to get mm -hmm. what I want to do. Um, and I failed miserably. I infamously say that I sucked at getting a, <laughs> getting a full-time job. Um, which at the time was was awful, was really, really frustrating. It wasn't helped by the fact that I came out of the market, I guess, in some ways, parallel to maybe how some people will come out of the market now in terms of the, the, the impact of COVID and, um, and things going on in, in the market place here um, right now um, but I came out after September the 11th so it was you know it wasn't the best environment to be coming out into the marketplace um, but having said that um, you know I did get a few interviews but I just wasn't successful um, and um, it was it was really interesting I think once you feel like you have everything it's a really interesting then concept to then not be able to get through where you know I think a lot of people um, have you know once you've got your degree you think that that's the the golden ticket to get a job mm -hmm. um, but there's there's a bit more to it than that the iron ironic thing is that I then ended up um, my first job when I finally got it and it was an absolutely amazing job and, and to be honest I'm really pleased with how it all panned out but I ended up hiring graduates my job was working for a law firm and actually the irony of not being able to get my own job in graduates um, wasn't lost on the fact that my job then was to, to hire graduates and, and I've never been anywhere else. Um, so I think, I think it was interesting because I think what I learned was that um, you have to be able to tell your story and be comfortable with who you are and what you've done. It's not just about getting the tick boxes of getting your degree, getting the experiences. It's also how you embrace that and how you actually tell your story. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, the graduates at the business school, we tend to have a, a September kind of date every year when they start to graduate. And we, we will have people now who are currently still battling to try and get into the, the jobs market. Um, how are you feeling at the time and what sort of advice would you give to them? now yeah I mean I I, I I think I sort of mentioned a minute a minute ago I was really despondent mm. it wasn't a great time in fact my uh, my uh, my uh, husband was getting interviews he wasn't my husband then he was just my boyfriend but he was getting interviews everywhere um, and, I, and, and I just couldn't get anything and it was really really frustrating I remember sitting at Christmas um, just going I don't know what to do I don't know where to look what to what to to go on um, and that was me applying for graduate schemes um, which I think I believed was the only really way to get a job at that point was that you needed to go through the proper um, formal formal channels like the ones that I actually work in now um, and actually in reality there are loads more opportunities than that um, it's just how you manage that opportunity and what you do with it um, but it was it was a hard time and um, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how did I present myself I, I just don't think that I was um, 
I was confident enough about what I could bring to a company. Um, and as I said, I think for me, the biggest thing is about feeling passionate about who you are, what your story is, everybody you know we've all had different experiences and that's who what makes us ourselves and I was too busy trying to compare myself to other people and trying to be better than other people yeah. when actually in fact the, the the best thing you can do is focus on being the best version of you that you possibly can and not worry about all those other people yeah. um so yeah it was it was a hard time um and when I got to my job um I got everything that I would have got in a graduate scheme in fact because I I went and asked for it and I think that's the thing to remember is just if you don't if you don't end up getting on one of the schemes the schemes are fantastic I know I've been involved in them for so long um they're absolutely fantastic they support you you get you get everything handed to you to to give you the best opportunity but if you end up in a in a in a normal job which the majority of people really will do um then you just need to go out there and actually just ask and and put together your proposal about why you can do it. So my um, law firm that I worked for, they paid for me to do my master's um, and, you know, I rotated into different areas of HR, um, but I had to ask for it. It wasn't just given to me. And that was the main difference, I think. Mm, which is really good advice, um, to be fair. So you, you were in that role for a few years um, and mm -hmm. then your next role, am I right in thinking, um, wasn't in the UK? No, so so I moved from um, I moved from legal um, HR to graduates to I actually moved to Barclays um, Capital as it was then. Okay. It's Barclays Investment Bank now, and um, I actually moved my I need I wanted to move away from the legal sector. For me, being a specialist in HR, I I, I realised that the breadth of understanding different industries is really really important. And so for me, moving from a law firm, I didn't really care what type of industry I went to but I ended up um, in banking um, and so I ended up in I, I was at Barclays and I actually joined to look after they wanted to set up a, or review their technology graduate program so I set up the I, I went in to do that so basically start from scratch restart um, new CIO in, in place how do we move forward so I, I, I basically set up a technology function uh, for graduates and Barclays at the time was through and the banking industry was massive growth and so basically I arrived I needed to hire 30 graduates into technology and within I don't know the space of a few weeks I had every uh, 11 different business areas to set up graduate programs for wow. um, so um, I was there and set up the graduate programs 180 graduates and 100 and around 150 interns in one year um, from nothing so that was really interesting and then from there there then became an opportunity to move to Asia. So I took that. I went to Singapore and I looked after all parts of the the law of the, the investment banking graduates um, in Asia um, for a number of years, uh, which was an amazing job. I did lots of traveling, um, lots of contacts still with universities. I used to come back to Durham um, sometimes yeah. as well, um, which was brilliant being on the other side. Um, yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I was there for a number of years out in Singapore looking after the recruitment and development yeah. of the grads. That's really interesting for someone who struggled to go into a graduate programme. Yeah. A graduate programme. 
Yeah, and do you know what? I think it makes me maybe better at my job because I understand that it, it's difficult and that yeah. it, it needs to be human. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I think I think sometimes when I've, for example, I've been working with interns who haven't got the conversion, um, I can really share my honest opinion about, you know, I didn't do, I didn't make it. I didn't even get as far as you guys did. And, you know, I, you look at me and, I, you know, it feels like I'm, I'm fairly successful and I have decisions and <laughs> power over this. But actually, you know, I, I was in your position as well. So um, yeah. I think it's quite good. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there are a couple of things that have come up over and over again when I've been doing this podcast and failure and the importance of failure has, has been something that's came up regularly, mm-hmm. which I, I just find really interesting. Like you say, you've, you've got a, a better insight because you've been there and done it. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think this is one of the biggest things when, particularly on the recruitment side, is I think people come through trying to prove that they've done everything right and that they've always been successful and I think um, you do learn so much from your mistakes and they make you who that who you are um, and you know even if something's gone wrong actually the resilience and the ability to bounce back is one of the biggest things that we look for in any hire that we make and I'm and that's you know that's not just in Jardines that would be across many businesses as well so I think I think that it's such an important learning experience and we shouldn't be scared of talking about you know the mistakes that we've made and how we've overcome them um I did have an amazing candidate once who actually said that he at the end of an interview I fail at most things I'm guessing this is going to be another one maybe don't go to that extreme (laughs) um but you know actually sharing sharing learning is really really important I'd rather hear about learning than everything going right um to be honest yeah so then going back to the practical side of things Mm. you've made this big decision to to move to Asia how did you find I mean, how did you make that decision, first of all, and how did you find the whole process of that? Yeah, so so take me take me back to the backpacking days. So actually, um, in, when I was backpacking, I actually met um, my boyfriend, now my husband, um, in Singapore. And while we were there, we said to each other, one day we'll live here. Um, I don't know what it was about Singapore, but we both sort of acknowledged it. And... Um, then it just became a bit of a fight who was going to get the opportunity first to move to Asia. And I'm pleased to say I won. So it was my opportunity that brought us to Singapore in the first place. Um, and so so that, that was sort of there. Um, but I, I think what motivated me, I just think, I think I've always been a curious person to want to go overseas. My father actually was, lived in Hong Kong as a child and was a pilot. Um, and although we never lived overseas, I think there was always this interest for me to go overseas. Um, so that that had always been there. I, I, but if you'd have asked me when I was at Durham that I'd be living in Asia for over 10 years I would never have predicted it um and so I think that that's an interesting you know thing I I think it was always there I wanted to explore the world and I'm really pleased that I've had these opportunities I I would never um change any of the opportunities that we've had um to be out here yeah so I know you're you're a bit of an entrepreneur yourself Um, am I right in thinking that you've got you've started a few businesses yourself yeah, so so um, when I um, so I was in Singapore, and then following Singapore, when when I was in Singapore, I actually had my two my two kids, um, and so I actually um, my husband then um, had an opportunity to move to Norway, um, and so we all moved to Norway, and in that 
that time I decided that I would wasn't going to go back into the workplace um I it wasn't for me at that time I wanted to to change some stuff I wanted to disrupt um the market that is the graduate space um and so um I actually set up my own company but I also made a couple of not mistakes I grew from all of them um but I I went for a couple of opportunities working for some other um startups as well um and worked with them um which was I learned a lot from those experiences um but I realized that if I was going to invest my time in a business it was going to be my business and I needed to do that so I had my own company in Hong Kong um following Norway we moved to Hong Kong and in Hong Kong I had my company um for about two or three years and it was really it was it was really coming going places I suppose in terms of um getting a reputation and um getting business the challenge I had was that my business was mainly based around my own expertise and the next stage would have been to employ somebody um and maybe to move into slightly more uh, a slightly more entrepreneurial space rather than um, just basing it on my own experience. Yeah. And um, I was probably at the verge of that point, um, you know, taking the next step um, when my current um, manager at Jardines actually said to me, I was doing some consultancy work for them. And he he sort of said, would you come and work for us? And mm. um, I, and immediately said, I said no. And then I thought about it and I thought, actually, I'm missing a massive opportunity. Um, Jardines is a very special organization and there's not many like it in the world. Um, and so it was, it was definitely the right opportunity. But I think when you have your own business, you also, um, I think maybe also because I've, I'm a trained coach and coaching was part of my business, but I was almost realizing that there was a block and I wasn't moving to the next stage. And whether that was the timing of having fairly young children and therefore not being able to commit to it, or whether I'm just not an entrepreneur on my own, um, is I'm not quite sure at this point. Um, my, my, I'd like to think that it's the first one, that it was just the wrong timing mm-hmm. and, I'll, and I'll go back to it. Um, I certainly still got ideas and I think they'd still be very, very valid in the market. Um, but this isn't the right time for me right now. So, yeah. so I want to watch for the future. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, that brings us up to kind of present day, I think. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk us through uh, what your current role is, um, what it is you do at Jardine Maths, and maybe give us a bit of a day in the life? Sure. So, um, I so I work for Jardines. Um, it's, it's Jardine Matheson is the full name, but we tend to refer to it as Jardines. Um, for anybody who hasn't heard of it, um, you're probably not the only person not to have heard of it. We like to call it the best unknown company uh, in the, the world. Um, it is... Um, Which is strange because it's so big. It is. It's like 450,000 employees um, Roughly, we're not, we, we, you know, that, yeah. that, that we don't know for sure because there's so many contingent workers as well, and it's so varied. Right. So it's a conglomerate. It's a, a family-owned conglomerate in um, Asia, and um, we we own a number of different or have um, uh, joint ventures in a number of different businesses across Asia. If you're in Hong Kong, particularly, you can't go very far without seeing. Um, Jardines. So it's, it's an incredibly, um, incredibly diverse company. 
um, and really, really exciting. And so I joined um, to be the head of early careers learning, which basically means that um, I was set the task of building the best graduate program in the world. Um, I'm still on that mission. It will never end um, to, to get it to the point that we really, really want it to get to. Um, but we've made some really great um, steps forwards. So one of the wonderful things about Jardines is that we re the, the, the belief is um, in developing people. And we have a program called the JET program, which is the Jardine Executive Trainee Program, which is a program to build general managers. And um, so rather than having specialists, we want to build people who have um, are able to take on um, chief executive positions across our businesses in the future. And um, so, so basically the program um, that I've been developing has been looking at, at the experiences that they have um, both in the classroom but also um, experiential learning as well. So we've been doing some really exciting things in that space and, and it continues to grow. So um, a day in my life um, is very varied. Um, I at the moment, everybody's working from home remotely, so I don't get to see people face to face, but we're constantly on Teams. Um, so we're constantly um, video and calling and, and connecting. So if I took today, I spent a couple of hours um, with um, our, uh, our recruitment team um, talking about the assessment process that we're going to go through for um, our interns and our graduates um, for the next year. So looking at, you know, the application process process, which stages we're going to put in, what changes we're going to make for the next year, and when we're going to make them. So I had a, 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 a call on that, which was really great. We had a couple of hours together, sort of brainstorming that. And then um, I had um, another um, couple of calls and, and some work on an exciting project we're doing about experiences, critical experiences that you need to get to be a general manager. And the day was then finished with a virtual classroom um, that was run by one of our providers for our um, 2019 Jets, so the guys that joined last September. Um, so that was a two-hour, two to three-hour training program um, on finance and business. Wow, sounds pretty varied. So, I mean, you mentioned the um, that you had a call about your assessment and application mm -hmm. process. Any chance we get a bit of a sneak peek about what that's going to be look like, what it's going to look like? Yeah, well, there's still, still a lot of our, our space to look at. Um, it's a really interesting time for all recruiters at the moment because as we're trying to deal with um, the COVID-19 situation, we're trying to figure out how we um, can continue to assess people at, at a high level. Um, but maybe not be able to do that in person. And so a lot of the discussion that we had was how can we put virtu the virtual side to it? So um, running virtual case studies and grief ass assessments um, and what implications that has. Um, we're also looking at, um, at the moment, our processes that you apply online. You go through some um, tests, some online numerical and verbal reasoning tests. Um, and then we have a, a tool called um, Pymetrics, which is a game based tool assessment um, and following that um, they then the candidates get invited to a, um, a video interview and then the assessment center after that so we were looking at um, you know what the value of each process is that we're doing and how that works for a candidate um, because believe it or not we do spend a lot of time trying to work out the imp impact for the candidate, what's the journey that they take, mm -hmm. and um, what will they learn from the experiences that we have as well. Um, so, 
it, it was it, so we've still we're still looking at some other ways that we might be able to kind of innovate um the great thing about covid-19 is that people are having to think about things from different perspectives and that really means yeah. that i think we'll see some really interesting um assessment tools and processes trying to to redefine them um in the upcoming months yeah so do you think a lot of companies are going to be taking their recruitment a bit more online and making making use of virtual resources? Certainly all of the, my network, um, there's certainly a lot of discussion about that as well as, you know, what, what can be done about internships and, and elements there. Mm. I think the general perception is that um, people will continue to hire. Um, they're, they're, mm. you know, there's obviously a little bit of conservatism there because we don't quite know how all of it will develop. Um, but um, I think everybody is looking at, at, at different ways of um, getting through the processes that we have and, and ensuring that we're not just doing it to make it just because we've always done it. We're also looking at what value each um, process actually takes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm bringing it back down to the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, if uh, what advice would you give um, to a student who says in the classroom right now, starting to come to the point where they should be applying for jobs and thinking about their future? What advice would you give them right now on things they could be doing now? So I think one of the biggest things that I notice is that if you're so if you're interested in companies, I think what people tend to do is just look on websites and then they the, the company work websites and we tend to get kind of answers about why they want to work for us at, on a very very basic level i think if you're starting to look out right now you should probably be setting up the wonders of you know like a google notification system which would give you news about the companies and try and find like a individual link to that company and and the work that they do so for example um say you were interested in the environment, maybe you could be looking at what that company does in that environment. Maybe they've done um, a big business deal related to improving um, the environment, or maybe it's something that they're doing in their CSR policies or sustainability um, um, efforts. Um, I, but I think if you can find like a personal kind of hook to the company, um, mm. then one, you feel like you've learned about the company in a better way. Um, but secondly, um, it, it gives you the route to ask all the questions. It gives you the route to actually show that you're genuinely interested in, in that organization. Um, so, so that, so setting up kind of regular information about what's happening about that company, but also just trying to find your own individual link to that company, I think is really, really important. Great. I think that's that's really good advice. So thank you for that. Um, I just want to say a big thank you, really, for joining me on the podcast. I know time zones often make these kind of things difficult. So thank you for taking the time. To no do problems. This. It's been a great pleasure. Great. So Anna Champion, thank you for thank joining you. me. Thank you. Thank you again to Anna for taking the time to join me this week. I think that idea of being able to tell your own story and being comfortable with who you are is really important. And not comparing yourself to others and aiming to be the best version of you is great advice for anyone currently applying for jobs, graduate or otherwise. Anna's a great example of someone who faced difficulties and came through it. You can really hear her passion throughout the conversation and I think some of that comes from her own experiences and it's great to hear the work that she's done since then, not only in recruitment but also learning and development, even if she did call one of Durham's colleges ugly. It was interesting to get Anna's take on the future of global recruitment in the aftermath of COVID-19, and I think that we should expect virtual resources to play a bigger role in the future. 
As always, thank you for listening to the podcast, and please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'm Chris Roberts, and I'll see you next time.